Robert Gowan and Paul Martinez. Hey, everybody. <laughs> sitting here at 5th Ranger Training Battalion. Um, we're in the training room, and so the site uh, looks a little bit different for those of you watching us on YouTube. On our YouTube channel, you can search uh, Mentors the Number 4 MIL and find us. But if you do that, you notice things a little bit different. It's uh, all because of, um, you know, we're in a different location than our normal studio. And um, we may want to go ahead and um, introduce someone who came off the Appalachian Trail just to join us here at 5th RTB, and that's Patrick Kinsella. So thanks for coming on the Mentors Mail podcast. Right on. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me, Robert and Paul. This is uh, this is great. This is a nice, you know, as you mentioned, I, I've been I've been through hiking the Appalachian Trail. I'm about 1500 miles in right now. So this um, this is good for me for two reasons, because I get to, to, to speak about what we're going to talk about. And I get to rest my body for about, you know, 48 hours, catch a shower, shave my face a little bit and get cleaned up. So this is uh, this is this is great for me for many reasons. Excellent. And I appreciate you guys having me. And it's also, it's amazing being back here at Ranger School. This yeah, I was just going to say, so, so how does how this, the, you know, how do you feel coming back and experiencing the mountain phase, especially we just got done um, watching the students arrive off the bus and go down there and, um, you know, their RIs meet them, they call out their roster number and, you know, blood type, all these different type of different things. Did it start bringing uh, memories back to you? Yeah, for sure. I, uh, you know, when you're going through that, that, that course, you know, you're so sleep deprived and food deprived that, um, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to remember a lot of things. So, I mean, just the moment when I stepped foot on the camp here, it all just flooded back to me, you know, cause, um, and, you know, seeing them come off the bus, getting in line, you know, I'm definitely glad that it's them, not me this time. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to trade places. No, maybe bodies. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a lot, a lot more miles on this one. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I once heard, okay. uh, if I could, somebody said, uh, if I could take my, uh, my knowledge now and then put yeah. it in the body of, of one of those 22 year olds, you would just have like, you know, a super soldier. It would, it would be insane. Yeah. If they ever figure out to do that. They say youth is wasted on the young. Yeah. So where is home? So originally I am, uh, I'm originally from Maryland, but, uh, right now I'm, um, I've been living in Fort Myers, Florida for, uh, for the past five years. Um, you know, obviously, you know, they just had a, a huge hurricane come through down there. So yeah. were you affected uh, pretty badly? Um, no, fortunately, uh, my, everything that I have down there, my apartment, my vehicle, they're good to go. Um, my friends and family down there, they're good to go. They awesome. had, they themselves had some minor damage to their, to their properties, but nothing that insurance won't cover. Thank God. Um, so, you know, personally I'm good, but I know there's a lot of people down there that are just absolutely devastated right yeah, now. Fort, I mean, it, Fort Myers got leveled. In yeah. Yeah. Fort Vegas. Myers beach is, is pretty much gone. The Sanibel Causeway bridge collapsed. Um, wow. it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, so yeah, my thoughts and prayers go out to everybody down there in, in Lee County and, uh, you know, the first responders, uh, the coast guard, the national guard, they're all down there just, just crushing it, doing everything that they, that they need to do. Now, for oh, those yeah. who may be wondering the timing of this, this, uh, podcast was actually taped, uh, two days, I guess it was mm -hmm. removed from when it hit. And, um, I was watching one of the television shows and, what they were, uh, they were uh, talking to the power people about, well, you know, how, how long is it going to take to, you know, update this and to improve it? And he's like, there, there's no like improving. I mean, we're starting at ground zero. Mm -hmm. That's how yeah. devastated and bad this is. It's not like you just go in there and 
put a, you know, a couple switches and stuff like that. You know, it's, this it's not a rebuild. It's a build. It's a build. Yeah. yeah. I mean, cause not only is, is half the city leveled, there's still flood water standing in a lot of it right now too. So there's a lot of places wow. they, they can't even get into them yet. Um, it, it, yeah. I mean, it looks like a Moab hit, hit the, the you know, Fort yeah, Myers yeah. beach. It's, it's, it's terrible. I saw a, um, an Instagram post of 65,000, I think it was, trucks from mm -hmm. all over the U.S. that yep. have come in to help restore the power. You know, that's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, know? they were on standby, wow. I think, uh, 48 hours ahead of time. They were already there. They were ready to go. And, uh, yeah, they've been working around the clock nonstop ever since. Wow. Yeah, I know they're doing CSAR. There's, CSAR groups are down there. I mean, I know they've been doing you know, flights in and out of Sanibel and Captiva because there's people stranded out there. Uh, they couldn't even get boats in originally from, from what I understand and from what I saw on social media, they couldn't even get the boats in originally to get people out because the waves were so bad that it, it just wasn't safe enough. So they had to, you know, completely wait for everything to, to, to die down to then even be able to help people, which I, I don't know the, the casualty numbers yet. They keep updating them every day, but it's, it's not good. Yeah. How well are you able to get service while you're out there on the Appalachian Trail? That depends where you are. Um, <laughs> uh, so right now I'm in uh, Southern Virginia. I started in Maine and up in Maine and New Hampshire, mm -hmm. it's very, it's very limited, but basically since pretty much once you get to like New York, I've, I've had service pretty much every day. I mean, there'll be parts of, of it where, where you don't, but you just put your phone on airplane mode to save your battery. And, uh, you know, I have a little battery bank that, that gets me, you know, as long as I can get like two or three days, uh, to, to get me to the next town, then I'll hit a, you know, I'll hitchhike into town, hit a gas station and, uh, you know, buy some beef jerky trail mix and then plug my phone in and charge, charge my battery bank up and stuff like that. So you're pretty much just going like three to four days at a time. Yeah. Okay. You're well tanned, man, for uh, November or October. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's just like, uh, yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of cover up there on some of those mountains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in, in Virginia, I know the Appalachian trail, sort of parallels Skyline Drive for quite a bit. Yes. How far south are you in Virginia? Uh, I'm pretty much in Roanoke. Okay. Yeah. Um, awesome. Gosh, so there's, there. so yeah, the Sky, Skyline Drive, yeah, all through Shenandoah, um, yeah. the Blue Ridge. So you have what's called like purists. Those are people that like they're going to start at the first white blaze in Maine or Georgia mm -hmm. if they're going north and they're going to do the trail the entire way. Like they're going to hit every white blaze. Um, I stepped off a little bit in Shenandoah and I actually yeah. walked Skyline because you actually get some better views on Skyline Drive than you do on the trail itself. So if you're a purist, then, you know, technically I didn't do that part, but you're still doing the same amount of miles. You're just doing it, you know, on a blacktop as opposed okay. to. On but are you, yeah. Patrick? Because yeah. somebody might yeah. challenge that and yeah. go, that's not actually true. You and know, 32 you, feet short. <laughs> yeah, they would, they would probably be right, but, uh, you know. Yeah, the, the trail complex up there, it's like. A, it's kind of windy and there's some little side trails and stuff and it's all kind of, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's marked on the map, but yeah. And actually uh, probably, so I'm, I'm planning on finishing on November 8th and uh, it's going to be right down the street from here. I'm actually yeah. going to, I'm excited. You know, it's, it's funny that I'm here right now cause I'm going to be here in like three weeks. And I'm going to be walking through. I'm hoping that I might see some ranger students when, yeah. when I'm on the trail. Right I'm on up. the tail end, right at yeah, class right. 1122 finishing yeah. up. and Yeah, I, you better believe I'm going to have some Snickers bars on standby. <laughs> and if I don't see any RIs, nice. I'm going to be chucking them in the woods, you know, trying to help, help the boys out. Uh, maybe you can excellent. catch you a ride down to uh, 4th RTB, and then you'd uh, have less to travel, right? You'd already be down there in the Panhandle of Florida. And, uh, well, actually, it's about the same number of hours from here, I guess, yeah. down yeah, there. So yeah, once I get to Springer Mountain, which is the southern terminus, I'm, uh, 
I'm going to just arrange a ride to the airport. I'll go to Atlanta and then I'll fly to Fort Myers from there. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, at least you're flying. You're yeah. not driving. You'd probably have to jump in if he flew with. <laughs> yeah. Which might be cool. You can fly with Ranger School, go jump yeah, in. Yeah, I would have to then. probably have to do a refresher course, get JMPI <laughs> a couple of times, and uh, practice my PLFs. Nah, you'd be all right, man. Yeah. You're going to feed ass head anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, Fort Myers, of course, you know, down in uh, Florida, there's tons of uh, military, whether it's the Navy, you know, Army, uh, Air Force, you know, the whole bit. So what made you uh, want to come into the military? Was it because of what was around or mil uh, family or what? Uh, I, I was a military brat uh, growing up. My father did 20 years, 20, 21 years in the Navy. Um, <clears throat> and he retired uh, just outside of Annapolis, Maryland. I always had the military on my mind. I was always around it growing up. And uh, it just was one of those things that I just wasn't really like a, a college student. I was, I was never a, a really a good student anyway. I, I always did what I needed to do to get grades, but I never enjoyed it. And then, you know, so coming out of high school and all that, I was kind of just drifting around for a little bit. And uh, I had a friend that was in the Ranger Battalion. He was in 1st Ranger Battalion. And he's, you know, he put me on to what it was all about. And then, uh, yeah, that, that, that's where I went from there. I, I just, I kind of always knew I was going to join the military. It just was a matter of just taking that leap. Yeah. Um, so when you went in, you went like buddy or something, a buddy plane? No, no. He, he was already there. Um, I, I went in on my own. Um, and actually we missed each other by like a month. He ETS like a month before I arrived at battalion. Okay. Um, I still keep in contact with him all the time. He's, he's a good dude. He actually lives not too far away from where I went through MEPS, um, he lives up in Maryland. So, uh, yeah, I'll probably see him around town when I go visit some family. Option 40 or what'd you do? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I did okay. the, uh, <clears throat> I did the infantry, the, the 11 Bravo with the option 40. Um, so I went to Fort Benning. So this would, this would have been like, I think I left January, 2000, like January 10th, 2009. And then, uh, you know, I did at the time you had to do one station unit training. Mm -hmm. So you do your basic training, your AIT, I think they flipped it now. I we used to have to do airborne school. Then we would go to RIP, and I believe it's that they flipped, flipped it now. Yeah. So yeah, you do RIP, then RASP. Or, sorry, RASP, mm -hmm. then yeah. then you go to airborne, um, and then yeah, I arrived at battalion, you know, July, j late July of two thousand and nine. Yeah. So uh, during RIP, because you went through RIP instead of RASP, um, you got selected for first uh, battalion. Or is there um, another I, story here? Yeah, I got I got <laughs> lucky. So I I wanted to go to first. That, that's where I wanted to end up. And um, you know the guys that have that have gone through they they know the story that I'm about to tell because it's probably the same for pretty much every class. But you know the basically like after you're getting you know you're graduating you're getting your tambourine they they pretty much bring everybody into a classroom and they're like all right we need twelve guys are going to first battalion fifteen guys are going to second and you know twenty six or whatever the number is is going to go to third. If you want to go to first battalion. I need 12 right now, you know? So it's like a mad dash, like people shoving each other out of the way, like trying to get up there and like, they just get the first 12. Well, I was sitting in the back of the class. So I, I was nowhere near close enough, but I had made friends with, uh, and I'll, I'll give the guy a shout out. His name is Sergeant Hoyt. He was a, um, he was an import from the 101st airborne division. He was our class. Uh, you know, he was our, our, I think I can't remember if they, if they call it your first sergeant or your platoon sergeant, but he yeah. was our class leader. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we, we had worked together all through rip. He had taken a liking to me and he was in that line 
And thank God he did this because he saw me and like we locked eyes with each other and he just like shoved this other dude out of the way and grabbed me by the shirt and pulled me nice. in. <laughs> and I got in. Nice. Yeah, so I got to go to Savannah. So whoever that dude was, I'm sorry. You know, but <laughs> oh my God, did that, where did he end up? Do you know? That uh, dude that got shoved? Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah either yeah. second or third. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. His story of how he got to his battalion selection is totally the opposite. Yeah. He's like, there I was. It was right in my hands. Yeah. Uh, mm. That's awesome, man. Joe, when you got up to Savannah, was it everything you thought it was? Or? I did not. Ex yeah, yeah. I mean, it was to an extent. So it's actually kind of, it's very similar to Annapolis. It's got that old, like, port style mm -hmm. feel to it. Um, actually, I think it's been around... Um, Remember correctly, even before the signing of the uh, Declaration of Independence, yeah, which I, a lot of people don't know, you know, that far south. Yeah, some of those cities like Savannah, Charleston, St. Augustine, they've been around since, I mean, forever. So right. it definitely had that, like, Annapolis feel that I was used to, like, growing up. Um, and, yeah, yeah, it was what I thought it was going to be. I turned into a beach bum when I was down there. It was great. Nice. <laughs> yeah, you guys uh, good down there. You did a bunch of water jumps. Uh, not as many as you would think. I think okay. I, in total, I think I did like maybe four. Okay. Yeah. It's still pretty awesome. Yeah, it was, it was fun. And they would, uh, you know, obviously they would always do it like at the, you know, at the end of a training cycle or, uh, you know, on a, on a, on a slower week. And they were pretty cool about it where, you know, it would maybe be on like a Friday, maybe around lunchtime. So all the wives and girlfriends, they would already be down at the beach with the coolers and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, so we would do the water jump then the boats would pick us up, take us in. We would just, you know, de-rig and do everything we had to do and then everything was already set up down at the beach so it's pretty cool and not only that but every saint patty's day you got kissed by women and stuff so yeah yeah you get uh just absolutely mugged <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah that's that's a fun time too I, I mean surprisingly some people didn't like doing the parade but i i i think i was in two of them and i loved it it was it was a blast yeah really but was it because it was more like a garrison detail thing and, yeah sort yeah. of and you're just kind of like I mean, it's, you know, like anything in the military, it's a lot of hurry up and wait. And, you know, you're just kind of basically, you're just standing out in the sun all day. It's a formation for five hours, you know? Yeah. So it, I, I see that part of it, but you know, the whole experience in general, I, I thought was, was very enjoyable and I'd love to go do it again. You know, that was, that was a lot of fun. I've got some cool pictures, you know, you got the lipstick all over your face and everything. And it's, it's just a, it's a good memory. So how many uh, deployments did you end up spending with them? I did five. I did one to Iraq, and then I did four to Afghanistan. Okay. Any uh, bad shit went down during one of those? Or? Um, yeah, so I, I was my, – my first deployment was to Iraq. Um, <clears throat> my, uh, my tab spec four, he, we, we, we got into an ambush, and uh, he ended up losing a leg. Uh, due to, he, got, he, you know, he had a through and through through his leg, but then you know, it ended up getting infected in Germany. Um, he ended up losing his leg then. Um, so, and then a couple of years later, uh, one of our team leaders from second, from second squad, Tanner Higgins, uh, rest in peace, Tanner Higgins, he, he was killed in uh, 2012. Um, and actually, you know, speaking of airborne Rangers in the sky. So today, you know, October 1st, uh, Sergeant Sanchez, Sergeant Sanchez, um, Roberto Sanchez, uh, was October 1st, 2009. Um, I never, I never met him. I went to Iraq. He went to Afghanistan, but you know, he ended up being my airborne ranger in the sky. And then, uh, October 1st, 2010, Sergeant first class Vogler, he was the uh, mortar That's platoon right. sergeant. Um, yeah, I mean, there was just, you know, it was just constantly on, on deployments. You would always, <clears throat> you know, you're always going to get the red line alerts and all that stuff. And 
you know, it's, yeah, it, it is, it is what it is, you know? Yeah. How many years did you end up uh, spending with uh, first battalion? About six and a half. Six and a half years. Yeah. Cause I did like, I think when I was, you know, I had originally signed a four year contract mm -hmm. and then when I was like six months out from that, I'd signed on for an additional two. Okay. All right. Um, Savannah the whole time then, Yes. you know? Yeah. yeah. Do you ever have any desire to go to, you know, back to the conventional side and then go back and, you know, do their. No, not really. Just because. No, no, I didn't. I, and, and honestly, <laughs> the only reason that I kind of got out is because I was starting to get to that point where, you know, once, you know, they have that saying, like, once you become a staff sergeant, you no longer are in the army, you are the army. Mm -hmm. And I was getting to that point where it was like, yeah. I never really wanted to be like the leadership role. I loved the aspect of being like the young Joe Ranger, like, you know, the point man. I, I loved that part of it. I never wanted to have to be the guy that had to do counselings and do the paperwork and all that stuff. And, and obviously that's part of your career if you're going to progress. But just for me personally, I never, I, I, I didn't want to do that. Yeah. I can relate. Well, and I mean that it, you end up getting to that no matter whether you go the enlisted route or officer, you just get a chance oh, yeah. to do it a little bit longer as an enlisted than you were, will officer that has to do the rotations. But sooner or later, you're right. It's going to be stuck behind a desk yeah. for a period of time and you're going to then go into S3 or, you know, something that's you know going to put you behind the desk and yeah. not working with the troops. Now, you know, I say that, but, but also that, I mean, being here, seeing the RIs, I would have, I, I wouldn't have minded, you know, maybe doing yeah. instructor time at, at Florida phase or at mountain phase or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, Not Darby phase. No, I didn't want to go to Benning. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, ideally I, if I did do that, I would have tried to go to Florida, but um, if, you know, I could see myself doing something like that. Um, I don't know about an airborne instructor or anything, but, I mean, not not saying anything against them, but just me personally, I just didn't want to have to deal with airborne school or anything. But yeah, I, I could have seen myself potentially going to be an RI. Yeah. Um, you know, because you got to do your instructor time and then come back. Um, so that would have been an option on the table for me, but I just, I chose to, to do something else. Yeah. You, you said you came through through 2012 or? 2010. 10. Okay. So you'd only been then in regiment about a year or so. Yeah, I was in... PFC specialist when you yeah, came? Yeah, so I was still a PFC. I did, I did my first deployment. Uh, you know, I was a private first class. I was a, I was a rifleman. And then so we got back in December of 2009. And then we got surged in May of 2010. I was yep. still a private first class, but I was a grenadier. Um, we got surged to, to Condus up to northern Afghanistan. And then halfway through that deployment, uh, which would have been pretty much, yeah, right at, at my one-year mark in regiment is when I got know they told me hey you're, you got to slot for ranger school you're going so i got flown back on mid-rotation oh wow and uh me it was myself and i think maybe three or four other guys from my platoon uh we got sent back on the mid-rotator and i think we started i think we started like i can't remember if we started in august or september but sometime right around then so how long oh, wait so just so i understand how long did you get a chance to kind of decompress from coming back before you had to come here uh or start actually, actually, I had a good amount of time. I think it was maybe like three weeks before I had to start because you have to go to to cert first, which is the small unit ranger tactics. Yep. So, so they call it pre ranger. So, I, but you know, 
I had like a three week period where I came back and I was on rear D and that was actually, that was awesome because <laughs> you know, there's, there's nobody there. So yeah. it's like, basically you just have to like kind of show your face every once in a while and stay out of trouble. And uh, yeah, we were just going out on the beach and riding jet skis all the time and it was cool. <laughs> and then, and uh, they're just like, Hey, you got to pass your PT test, do this. And then, you know, you're going to go to Fort Benning to go to pre-ranger. And so I think that was maybe like at the end of July, maybe is when I went to pre-ranger. Yeah. And, and then obviously then you fall right into to, to Darby phase of ranger school. Yeah, dude, our experiences were so different. Yeah. And rear D was torture at third bat. You do not want to be in, on rear D. No. It didn't matter what rank you were. You were getting hosed. We would, no, there's no beach trips. Man, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. It was, <laughs> I, you, know, awesome. I, you know, obviously maybe that, that, that doesn't apply to, to every situation. And, you know, maybe there's guys that, at battalion right now that are on rear D that are like, that would never happen, but yeah. it happened. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm sure. You know. Yeah. But that's just, that's awesome, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a good time. And uh, you got recycled? No, I went straight through. And, Dang. you know, which is always shocking. Um, yeah, man, you get sent to school in the year, you go straight through. Yeah. Yeah. Stud, dude. That's I was, cool. I was rocking and rolling for a while there. Everything yeah. was, everything was clicking. And, and I was, you know, yeah, I had a, I had a, I had an awesome military career. I loved it. Yeah. So uh, you finish up with the ranger school, you go back and um, do some more deployments, and then you decide, this is it, I'm done. So I did, I stayed on the line for, uh, I did, I did an, after ranger school, I did another deployment to Kandahar as a saw gunner. Um, and then I did, and then I switched to the canine platoon. I went over to HHC. Oh, no, I, how was that? That was awesome. That was, that was a blast. So I first got to see canine work in Iraq. We had a dog named Jari. And, you know, I was pretty impressed by it. And then, you know, kind of after, and you know, after you get out of ranger school, you know, you have to do that rotation as a saw gunner or as like a corporal team leader, maybe, but that's mm -hmm. when you kind of, now your, your options in battalion are, are a lot broader. So you start looking at what you want to do. Do I want to, you know, do I want to stay on the line or, you know, I could go to canine, right. I could go to snipers, I could do recce, you know, you, you can start seeing what you want to do. And on that deployment at when I was a saw gunner, we had a dog named Narco and that dog got utilized a lot and I got to watch everything about it. You know, just the whole thing was just so sexy to me. I was like, this is like, I mean, you're, you're out here hunting these people with, with a four legged animal yeah. and it just, it immediately, I knew that that's exactly what I wanted to do. And I, you know, I had some good role models that, that, that I was able to, to learn from, um, guys like, uh, McDonald and Ambrosio, those guys, you know, they were like lethal dudes with dogs. And I was like, all right, I want to be like those guys, you know, that that's what I want to do. So when I went to the canine platoon, I went through the whole, uh, the training pipeline. It's up in, it's up in Indiana. You go through like a, a 10 week, um, like special operations canine course, basically. So it was like us, uh, a couple guys from, from, uh, the SF and, uh, I think there might've been like maybe a CAG guy there. No, right. Um, it's called Von Lick Kennels. It's up in Indiana. So I did that course, then came back, and then I pretty much just like just dove headfirst into, uh, in, you know, trying to follow those guys' leads. Like, all right, I'm gonna everything this dude does. That's I'm gonna I'm gonna mirror it. And uh, yeah, so shout out to those guys for you know passing on a wealth of knowledge. And it was it was awesome. great. I, I had a, I had a great time as a canine handler. So I did two I did two rotations as a canine handler. Um, one of them was to my first one was to. Uh, Where'd I go? Bastion. I was at Fob Bastion on my okay. first one. And then my second one, hold on, I might have this backwards. Sorry. I'm not, yeah, my first one I did Fob Bastion down in Helmand Province. Mm -hmm. And then halfway through that deployment, 
Um, I got flipped up to Fab Salerno and, and I finished out at Salerno and then my next deployment was also at Fab Bastion. Okay. Yep. I, I've been to Fab Bastion. I can't remember what it looks like, but I remember that place kind of being a shithole. Yeah, it's... I mean, it was not as good as Salerno, right? I thought Salerno was, was great. I Salerno mean, at least our good. camp on Salerno, Camp de Mage, yeah. was like, I mean, you had the, the, we had everything. I mean, it yeah. was like, I mean, the gym there was awesome. The, yeah, it, and I mean, you're just right next to the airfield where at Bastion, mm-hmm. you know, you, it's a huge Marine and Brit base. And you'd have to take these buses down to the airfield and it's so yep. far away from everything. But it, at Salerno, yeah, you're right next to the airfield. Um, that was great. Kandahar, was, I thought Kandahar was cool too. Our camp yeah. on Kandahar was right across from the airfield. I had a great time in Kandahar. But yeah, Bastion, I didn't like that place too much. Yeah, now, now I remember the bus drives and the, yeah. I remember the Brits. Yeah, old, good old Bastion. And I mean, they were cool. We did some canine, yeah. some canine training with really? the Brits. Yeah, we would go over there and, uh, you know, they have a little bit more relaxed rules over there. They'd be like, hey, you guys want some beers? You want whatever? We're like, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we would do some canine training with those guys. Yeah. And so that was cool. I mean, I had, a, I had a good time there, but I just didn't really like the location very much. Yeah. That makes sense. What was your uh, canine's name? Uh, Eros. Eros? Yep. Cool. Yep. Very, very cool. He ended up going up. I think he did the two rotations with me and then he got, he ended up getting cancer in his, oh, re- sure. in his, yeah, in his rectum. So they had to do a surgery on him. He went up to, uh, to the 75th headquarters, um, and he, he was up there for like two years and then, you know, while he was like going through his medical stuff and then he got uh, like retired out and I believe he got sent to the Memphis Police Department. And from oh, what I know, he oh, wow. r- racked up a ton of bites. Wow. No way. So I was going to ask you all of this. That's great uh, that you kept up with because I was going to say, did you get a chance to keep up with him? Yeah, not, not as much as I would have liked because you just, you know, you just, li- life is going on. Yeah. Um, he ended up... Uh, he died in 2018, I think. Okay. Um, but, you know, he was like 10 years old, you yeah. know, something like that. So, I mean, he had a good good dog life and got a oh, bunch yeah. of bites and got to do a bunch of cool stuff. So, oh, yeah. you know, he's in dog heaven somewhere. <laughs> he, got to, he got to be a real dog. Yeah. yeah he's, yeah. A, he's a great dog. Yeah, yeah. He's a great dog. He's a super handsome dog, too. That was the one thing that really stood out to me about him was he was just so photogenic. He was a, he was a, a Belgian? Yeah, or? he was a Malinois. Okay. Yep. Okay. I know. So sometimes we were using the Dutch Shepherds. Yeah, I ended up actually, uh, like my last six months that I was in, kind of as I was ETSing mm-hmm. out, that dog that I had originally made me want to join, Narco, he was a Dutch Shepherd, cool. and he was now towards the end of his career, his teeth were all messed up, and you know, he was he had had like six, seven, eight deployments at this point, um, so they were kind of like, so I, I, I had that dog for like my last six mm-hmm. months maybe, just as like he was out processing and I was out processing, nice. um, but I never deployed with him. Hmm. Did he end up with the titanium canines? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I know he, um, when he was with me, yeah, he got a root canal and they had to like take out some of his teeth. And I, yeah, I think now that you mentioned, I think he might've, he might've yeah. got some, some chompers on him. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember when I first saw that and you probably had a similar experience, especially in the canine platoon, but you know, you're like a private or whatever. And this dog like kind of looks funny and they're like, Oh no, he's got, Titanium teeth. And you're yeah. like, this is just older ranger screwing with younger ranger. And they'll open his mouth and sure, sure enough, <laughs> titanium fangs. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah, they'll we, do some damage. Yeah, we had one. It was in, I can't remember. It must not have been a Mal. It must have been a Dutchie because it was all black. And mm-hmm. uh, I was, sorry, Valenzano's dog. Can't remember Val's first name. I think it's Tony. And that thing was so freaking scary. It's like a bl- all black German Shepherd with metal canines. 
but not shiny steel. It's, it's titanium has that like kind of gunmetal look. Yeah. <laughs> Terrifying. Yeah. Dude. I mean, you can imagine just a black dog coming out of the night. You're trying to run away in your man jammies and your sandals. Yeah. You don't want to just see the eyes and the teeth catching the moonlight and just, whoa. Yeah. That's a horror movie, And man. they're just, I mean, those dogs, when they get on bite, they're just, they're so, they're, they're so vicious. That, yeah. that was, I, 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 I did not see, I did not think I was going to be a canine handler. It wasn't even in my mind when I joined the military. I was, I was gung ho. Like, I want to be like this infantry guy, you know, doing, you know, whatever. And I'm so glad I did it. I actually like, as when I got out, like after I got out, somebody had asked me like, what's your like most proud moment from your time in the military? And I, you know, I had to stop and think about it and it was being a canine handler on target, you know, like I, I, you know, cause it's going to be you and that alpha team leader, yep. um, from, you know, whatever that, that first squad is, it's like, you know, and then you got these like 40 Rangers behind you. So I was like, that made me really proud. Like, all right, it's, I got to, I had the experience. I got to lead Rangers in, yeah. in into battle. And that was, I mean, that was, that's something that I'm very, very proud of. That was like, I had the greatest time in canine. So if anybody, if any young Rangers or whatever, if you're thinking like, should I go recce? Should I do this? Whatever. Go to canine. Yeah. It's, it was fantastic. I'm, I'm actually not, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but um, there are a lot of people who end up contacting us and want to hear more about canine just because it's somewhat of a, it's not talked about that often mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. there's just not very many people that get, uh, get a chance to experience it. So when we do have people on here that are canine, they'll be the canine lovers, you know, yeah. that like to hear more about it and, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. There's just, there's limited slots. You know, you've got, uh, you know, three platoons per company, one canine per platoon. So you're looking at 12 canine yeah. handlers in the whole, in the whole, you know, in each battalion. So yeah, there's just, there's not many out there, but it's, it's just such a good job, you know, especially if you want to get, you know, if you want to be that point man, like the canine yeah. handler, you're always involved in everything, you know, when, like, I mean, when you're leading up to target, if you're going to take fire, the canine handler's right, you know, you're right in the front. Or why, if, if why somebody's. Is, why is that, that, that you would put your canine out front? Well, you, I mean, your, your dog's not going to do any good for the platoon if he's in the back. So, I mean, you know, they could have IEDs and, and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you're always going to lead with your, with your canine. You know, dog's going to be out, you know, however far ahead of us that he's going to be. We usually yeah. have him off leash. Um, Depending on, you know, if you're doing an offset infill, he's going to be right. off leash. If you're doing an X, you're probably going to have him hooked up to you, but you got, you, you're ready to pop, you know, pop uh, your lanyard in case he needs to take off. Um, and then, you know, you get up to the building, you know, as they're setting up security, you know, you got to go up and you got to go search all those doors, go yeah. search all these walkways, you know, make sure there's no pressure plates or anything. So you're just, you're right in the middle of everything. And that's, that's, you know, at least my mindset was <laughs> if I'm going to, I'm going to be out here doing this job anyway, I, I mean, I want to be in the middle of everything. And then, you know, when the squirter, if a squirter takes off from the building, oh, it's yeah. like, now you're on your own. Now you're on a manhunt. It's, it's just so much fun. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I yeah. can totally see the That's, adrenaline of that. Yeah. Well, you're so, you're so crucial to that yeah. team. You know, you're, you're a detection piece, you're augmenting EOD, mm -hmm. you know, it's so cool. I, I was in a unique position where I, I was a sniper. So very similar to your experience where it's like, that's my proudest time in the military was I got to be a sniper and watch over my boys, but yeah. I got to walk point because our EOD, we only had one EOD guy and he was really good. And so me and him got together cause I'm like, dude, you shouldn't be walking point cause we're gonna need you. Mm -hmm. If something goes wrong, like, what are you doing? What are you doing up here? <laughs> yeah, and he's like, he explained how he looks for, you know, IEDs and booby traps and stuff like that. I'm like, that's target detection. Like I'm trained double stamp, 
like in two sniper schools on that. Mm-hmm. And we went, and so I got to, it was me, alpha team leader and the canine out front. And I, agree, I couldn't agree with you more. It's so cool being out there in front. You're like, I'm, I'm, I'm not the point man. You know, that's the yeah. little line guy, but you're, you're right next to him. Yeah. It's, it, you know, and it, it's just, I mean, I, I would, I would trade anything to, to just go back and do one more mission. Like that ah, feeling of cool. when you're like, you got all your boys behind you and you're like, all right, man, like we got to get to this target building. And you know, that sense of, pride that you have when you get there you've you know you get your find you know you find your pressure plates you find your grenade cache or whatever it is you know when you do your job that you're supposed to do and you keep people safe i'm sure it's the same feeling that medics get it's the same feeling that snipers get you know once you're in that like specialty role you just i I would i would trade anything to go back and do it one more time yeah i think i think machine gunners feel that too yep and i'd say if you're if you're sitting on machine gun and you think you want to do something different in your career you know, go do something where you're the only guy in your element that can do what you can do mm-hmm. and, and see if you like that too. You know, I think it suits mortars cause they're kind of on their own yeah. and they're, they're in a support mission. Yep. Did you ever, um, cause I, I may have, I may have experienced this. Have you ever, uh, tried to beat the sniper to the squirter? Have you ever been in that situation <laughs> where it's like, you got the dog and Sierra somewhere and they're I've, like, all right, we got a squirter and you. Then the two of us are trying to like. Everybody's I got to get him first. Yeah, because you. I mean, I got to beat the dog. Yeah, because you know what's gonna go down. So you're kind of like you always want to be. I mean, I mean, I'm gonna. We're gonna pop our dog. Like if if as soon as they as soon as ISR or as soon as they're saying hey we got a squirter it's boom dog off leash and then yeah yeah, it's uh you know you don't want to run into an ambush but yeah you're kind of foot racing to get up to that dude because you want to be the one (laughs) to, to get him you know. Oh yeah. And uh. Yeah, I didn't have to do that as a sniper, so I just got to lay on my fat belly and hopefully I could get a get a shot lined up. Yeah, but it, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, you don't you don't want to make you don't want to have to make guys in full kit run. You know that's nah. gonna that's gonna piss them off. Oh no, that, <laughs> I remember after some long long infills and you know long nights where you do multiple hits. Like we got skirters and Kano gonna be right there. And I'm like, oh, thank God, thank God. Yep, he'll go, go, yeah. run them down. Oh yeah, yeah. he'll get them. That's and so it, fun it, and it's so ride. cool, you know, not not to harp on canine so much, but I, I just I still have this vision, this memory in my head of like what really made me want to do it. And you know, the dog, you know, they don't have the night vision, so they're mm-hmm. operating solely on their nose. That is their night vision, and you know, they've got their like uh, their scent cone basically. So when these dudes are out hiding out in the woods or out, you know, bear, you know, dug down in their positions, you know, they're putting off odor. And the dog is out running, you know, trying, you know, he's got his nose up in there trying to find that odor. And I just have this, this memory of, of watching Narco do it when I was a saw gunner and, you know, he's running ahead of us. And then, you know, the guy was over, over here. So, you know, Narco's running straight and obviously that crosswind, like once he hit that odor, he just like, boom, I mean, 90 degree turn straight to the left and just bracketed his way in right to the guy. And I remember watching that and being like, that's the sexiest thing I've ever seen. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. When they when they know they've got that scent locked and they kick on the afterburners and mm-hmm. just it's a fuzzy heat seeking missile. <laughs> so freaking awesome. Yeah, that was. Yeah, and they're and they're very versatile animals too. I think if you're not familiar with like most soft canines will be multi-purpose, so mm-hmm. this animal can detect. You know, I mean, rifle cartridges. Yep, it's and, it's going to be detection, tracking, and apprehension. Yeah, yeah. Yep. so it's. It's amazing that they can do that. There's, there's some, there's some pretty, pretty amazing canine stories out there. You know, I'll, um, 
I don't know if you've heard of a buddy of mine, a ranger buddy of mine, Trent McDonald. I mean, National Geographic did a whole story mm. on him and his dog, Breach. Yeah. yeah, it's. I mean, it, there's some crazy canine, you know, things that that happened during, at least, you know, during my time in regiment. And, uh, I mean, those dogs are, those dogs have saved so many lives. It, it's, it's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I was always, I always had mixed feelings when a, when a canine would, would die, um, you know, out on an objective and everybody would get so upset and so mad. And I understand, I never felt like an, an affection for our canines. I loved them in the sense that they were a great tool, but it wasn't like a dog to me mm-hmm. for whatever reason. What it was is like, that was like a, a free life in Super Mario. You yeah. know, like if that canine died, it died doing something that was going to kill a ranger. Mm-hmm. So like when that happened, I wasn't thankful that we had lost our canine, but I was always like, awesome. That is the peak of that dog's performance is doing the thing that's so dangerous that like you don't want a human there because it's going to kill yeah. him. You know, so it was always like that's the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah, and, and I mean, it sounds heartless to say it, but I mean, the people that, are, that, that know what's going yeah. on, they, they don't, but it's kind of like, that's what they're there for. You yeah. know? And, and I hate to say it that way, but that, that is what they're there for. You well, know, they're, they're, they're there to preserve life. Yeah. And if, if that canine gets taken out, it did its job to the, to the utmost. Mm-hmm. And they That's get so much respect. I mean, they, you know, oh, they yeah. get treated like, like, you know, the highest military honors that any other soldier would get, you know? Oh, so, yeah. and a lot of times, I mean, I don't think that you know, the majority of the times that those dogs aren't suffering, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's over right away. So, yeah. you know, they get to go out guns blazing, doing what they do, you know, yeah. they're in dog heaven. Oh yeah, you know? definitely. <laughs> they, uh, did you ever encounter a dog that just wouldn't do it or didn't get it or like had bad brains or something? Um, I've, I've heard of them. I, yeah. I saw some like back at the kennel, but they would be like, right. Hey, this dog had trouble on target. So we're in the process of like moving it out or whatever. Okay. But I never personally ran into a dog on target that, that yeah. wasn't doing its job. Um, or, and, I was thinking like maybe in training or something. Oh like yeah. That. yeah, you, yeah. You're, you're not going to send them overseas unless they're pretty yeah. solid. I mean, there's so many things you have to do. They have to go through, um, like desensitation from, yeah, that's the word. You have to desensitize them from the helicopter. So you got to take them up, you know, do lifters with them where they're, you know, you got to rope with them a hundred times. How is know? that first rope or that first lift with a Belgian Malinois that's like trained on the bite? And Yeah, you're pretty much throwing them out. The, I mean, he's attached to your hip and then you're hooked up to a, a descender. Yeah. And I mean, they, I mean, you know what you're going to do. You know right. you're safe, but you know, you're 60 feet off the ground or whatever it is. I mean, that dog is like pushed up on, he's like, I am not going out that door. <laughs> and you, I mean, you literally have to just throw him out and I mean, he'll swing out, you know, he swings out with you. Yeah. They don't like it, but I mean, yeah. Do they ever get used to it where they kind of like accept it? And it's yeah, I think so- some of them do accept it. I've heard, I, I know, uh, I won't say the guy's name, but I know a guy that just got, I mean, the dog just. The first time he did it, I mean, the dog just diarrhea all, over, all, all over him. You know, and the, I mean, the dog was, you know, he thought he was getting thrown out of a helicopter. You know, and uh, so I mean, but yeah, they, they was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they do get used he to it. He doesn't know what a carabiner is. Yeah. So that's freaking awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what made you get out then? You know, I was just kind of at the point in my career, the war was starting to die down mm-hmm. a little bit. And, and I don't want to say that to discredit anything that was happening after I, cause I know they were still getting after it. There was still, oh, yeah. they were still hitting like hard. Like even when I was contracting, I was, you know, I was, I was, in, I was, we'll get into it, but I was basically hired by regiment as a contractor. So when I was there, I was with all guys from regiment and Very they cool. were still hitting like all the training camps and doing all that stuff. So they were, they were. I would say they were hitting harder targets. We were hitting more targets, you know, right. so that when that op tempo started dying down, like my last rotation, I think we only did like 25, 30 missions where like my first couple of rotations, you're going out 
you might go out twice in a twice in one night. You yeah. know, you know, you might hit this house and then you go hit four more right after that. Yeah. You know, so when it was kind of dying down like that, I was like, all right, I don't, I don't want to get into the pencil pushing. The war is starting to die down, and that's when uh, the, the the opportunity with uh, with Raytheon came along. And uh, at the time, I was looking at I had I, I had bought a house in Savannah. And my wife at the time, we were looking at trying to buy a house in Florida. So I was like, all right, well, I can go, you know, maybe do this for like a year. And, you know, they're going to, you know, they're going to send some money my way. And, you know, so that'd be a huge down payment on this house. So that, that was kind of why I originally got into it was I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, to stay in the, in the military. And, uh, yeah, they had a huge check. So, yeah. I mean, I think it's the same reason why a lot of guys go contracting. You know? That's a good reason. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I feel like after the specialty platoons, it's kind of hard to go back into the line mentality or go mm-hmm. back into a staff mentality because you're, yeah. you're so autonomous Yep. and you know, you're well respected if you're good at your job and you're doing what you need to do and you get schools. I'm sure you got yeah. some cool guys schools. Yeah. I, and, yeah. No, you get to, I mean, I went to... Memphis, Mississippi, Alabama, oh, wow. San Diego, Indiana. All uh, for canine all, just all Those are all just private wow. canine schools, yeah. That's freaking awesome, man. Yep. And so when you, did, did you do anything else with the canine training afterwards? Uh, no, so yeah. actually my, my contract that I was on, um, <laughs> this scared me so much. So like <clears throat> I, got, I got out of the Army on like June, basically like June 1st, and I was on the plane to go t- to, to go to Kabul to go do my contract like 10 days later. And I found out when I was in mid flight, I was in Ireland, we had a, we had a layover in Ireland. And one of my buddies from regiment was like, Hey, I heard your contract went away. And I was like, what? Whoa. And he was right. Yeah. The contract, like there's so much negotiations that go on with these contracts and they wait till the very last minute to approve them. And, uh, so yeah, I, I had just ETS'd out of the army and signed this contract. And then I find out that it's going away. So when I first landed in, in Kabul, they were like, Hey, you guys might be going back in like 60 days. So I started putting out canine resumes to, to ages and triple canopy and all those companies. Yeah. And they were responding, you know, they needed dog handlers and I would have taken yeah. it. I, I, for sure. I just would have jumped over maybe gone to work at the embassy or something like that. Um, but the contract ended up getting re-signed and, and we were good. So I was able to stay. Nice. nice. But to, you know, to answer your question, no, I never ended up after I got out of the military. I never worked with dogs yeah. again. So what'd you end up doing? So I ended up getting hired by. So Raytheon had a contract with with JSOC, specifically with the Range Regiment, um, to train uh, Afghan uh, special operations. So it was the the Katehas uh, and the female tactical platoon. So there was a program called the Warrior Training Alliance. Uh, WTA and the WTA was a group of contractors that was responsible for, for basically for this training. Um, so pretty much the way it worked is like all these contractors, it was a lot of ex rangers, um, you know, obviously all former military people. Uh, we would, we lived there full time. So we was at camp Scorpion in, in Kabul. And so we lived there full time. There was like that that's your your baby is this is this training program basically and then the ranger regiment you know they're the battalions they're coming in on their rotations um i don't i don't what, what year did you get out um i left regiment in 13 the beginning of 13 so were they doing scorpion scorpion rotations i think they were doing them. they right? were yeah they'd been doing them for a few years and actually my my it was my turn to go be the scorpion sniper instructor 
Yeah. And I was and like, ah, oh, that ain't happening. No. Yeah. Fuck so, no. so yeah. So that actually, that ties in perfectly to what I was yeah. going to say, because all the, basically every, you know, you'd still go on your deployment, but one platoon yeah. um, would get sent to Camp Scorpion. And you kind of knew, like, if you go to Scorpion, you're not going to be doing as many missions. You're going to be training, yeah. training, you know, the, the, the Afghan nationals, the Afghan national army. Um, so nobody ever wanted to go to Scorpion. Yeah. Um, it ended up actually, they ended up running tons of missions out of there as, as, really? yeah, as, wow. as it went on, like when I was contracting, they were, they did tons of missions out of there. Um, but originally, no, it, it wasn't like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, the battalion, they're rotating in, these platoons are, are coming in. So then they're going to be there for, you know, 105 days and uh, they're going to augment, you know, I, I don't want to say augment. I'd say we kind of augmented them because they're the ones coming in with all the guns. They're coming in with everything. So you're going to do all this training with these, with, with, uh, with the Afghans. Um, and then you're going to be the continuity piece because then okay. 105 days later, they're going to go back. So, you know, these, the ANA, they're, you know, they got to have some people that they're used to seeing full-time all the time. So that's pretty much right. what we did there. It was, it was called the Warrior Training Alliance and we were just full-time uh, Katehas and FTP trainers. Hmm. So maybe a lot of people don't know who's li that's uh, listening to this as to why women were getting engaged and how that, from the enemy's perspective, is kind of frightening. Yeah, so, so, so the background on it is, uh, so there was a platoon within the Katehas, it was called the, the FTP, the Female Tactical Platoon, and it was mirrored directly after the, the CST program okay. um, for, through JSOC, the, the cultural support team. So exactly the job that the CSTs did for Ranger Regiment, the FTPs did that for, wow. for the Katehas. Um, and it, it's a fantastic program. I mean, do you have I'm, any CSTs with you? Yeah. Yeah. We always had CSTs with us. So I, right. I think at a minimum, there was always one CST. Most of the time there was two. So, and, and just like how the battalions, you know, where, where the platoon, mm -hmm. one platoon would come to Scorpion, everybody else would go to the other outstations. So, you know, I was, a lot of times what would happen is the CSTs would go to those outstations and then one or two CSTs would get sent to Scorpion. So they were like, full-time training right. with, with me. And there was a guy that there was another ranger that was there before, if, before I got the program, it was a guy from three, seven, five named Andy. He was there for, I think two years with them as well. So they would, you know, so there'd be two CSTs with, with, uh, with us. And then all the other CSTs would be out with, with the, with the platoons out running missions and doing all that stuff. Um, they were still doing missions out of, out of Scorpion, but it was the same dynamic right. as what, as what the range platoons were doing. Okay. Um, so yeah, we would, it, it was myself and, and generally two CSTs and we would come up with these big training plans for these FTPs. We would, you know, everything from, you know, you got to recruit them first, you know, you got to get bodies in and then you got to, wow. then you got to put them through the whole, the whole training pipeline. So that was part of your process was actually mm -hmm. getting yep. recruiting. So you're like, this isn't like the end Afghan end. army. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, hey, we've got these females are vetted. They can do this. Well, so they, they were. They were already in the okay. Army. So I, I, we were on Camp Scorpion, which was like a small camp within KMTC. It's the Kabul Military Training Center. Okay. And that's where they were running Afghan basic training. So they had a female. I don't remember if it was a whole female company or maybe it was a battalion level female unit where it was wow. like all female soldiers that were graduating from, from the ANA. And uh, myself and the CSTs, we would go down there. And, uh, you know, we would give them our whole, our whole pitch, tell them what was up, what's up with this job. You have an opportunity to do this. It's going to separate you, you know, you from, you've already like, you know, separated yourself a lot from Afghan culture, just, you know, joining the military to begin with. Right. But you have an opportunity to separate yourself even more. You know, you're not going to be, you know, you're not going to be doing an administrative job. Like if you, you're going to be on the ground with 
with the Catejas and with and with the Ranger Battalion. Yeah. If that's something that you want to do, we got a program for you over yeah. here. And uh, you know, wow. we would get we get them to sign up. They would they would come over and go through this whole selection process and training pipeline, which which we can get into. And then uh, once they would complete that, then then they were operational. We'd send them out on on missions. I I have a question about the females in the Afghan army because I guess I just assumed because it's a Muslim culture that they were they would be an all male military. What do the females in the Afghan army do that aren't going to be in that CST or that female? Uh, I don't want to speak. I don't want to say like definitively, but from what I saw, they're mm-hmm. gonna. There's a lot of. Um, they're doing a lot of admin S three okay. payroll. They're they're doing yeah. stuff like that. I, th- that's from from what I saw. That that might be different at at, sure. at other locations, but from what I saw, um, n- nurses. You know, they're okay. going to work in aid stations and stuff okay. like that. Um, but there was, yeah. I mean, there's some exceptional stories of of some some female soldiers. I know there was like some amazing pilots that they had that went through the whole really? pilot program. Yeah, it's, it's some some really crazy some crazy stories. I had no idea. Yeah, and it's and I mean the type of women that are signing up. To do these types, to do these types of things, they're, you know, I mean, they're just extraordinary people, you know, because right. they're already separating themselves from what their culture kind of dictates anyway, and then they're taking it even a step further, whether yeah. it's FTP or pilot or or whatever, you know. So they're just, they're exceptional human beings. Yeah, they're defying a lot of yeah. cultural norms. <laughs> yeah, that's that yeah. takes some big stones to want to be a female Afghan pilot. Yeah, you know, or a, in that culture. So I want to wow. go over the cultural support team because for those listeners who may not be familiar with that, I mean, if you were if you served during the time of the war, you probably know CST. But for those who are not familiar with that term, and I think that acronym is actually used in other branches for other purposes. So, mm-hmm. a cultural support team um, is usually it started off in the early GY days of taking women because they found that it kind of um, neutralizes. The men in the, in the village and, and calms the women down and the children. If there's a female present, they typically take the women and the children aside to calm them down, but also to check them out, make sure that they're not hiding anything. Yeah. You know, they don't have any bombs on them or, you know, yeah. any weapons that they're hiding. And they also get intel. Uh, you yeah. know, what's going on? Is there, you know, Taliban been here? How frequently? Who is it? You know, what, you know. So they're kind of the um, eyes, ears, and all of that while the rest of the team might be securing the perimeter and doing the same thing with the men, and, and it helps kind of separate that. And it became very effective. And so you found CSTs with Ranger Regiment, uh, with uh, the SF, mm-hmm. and then, of course, even with Delta. Yep. And, and I think they worked with SEAL teams as well. Yeah, so teams, SEAL right. teams. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a super effective tool. Mm-hmm. And it's a, uh, I mean, like you said, I mean, they're, if these guys are going to ditch what they have on them, they're not going to, you know, they're either going to ditch it, like, you know, try to hide it, or they're going to give it to to, yeah. to those women and children. So, I mean, the CST job is extremely dangerous. They're going oh, up yeah. to go search these women and children who, like, if you're trying to hide it, you're going to put it on them. Yeah. And, I mean, they've, we had some, I, I was fortunate, to, I served with some amazing CSTs. I don't want I won't say their names because some of them are still active duty and, you know, you know, whatever. But I mean, I, there were some straight savages that, that, that were on our teams with us. Um, you know, th- and they have to go through a whole selection process as well mm-hmm. up at, up at JSOC. Um, yeah. And you know, anything that a Ranger can do, the CSTs, yeah, know, they fast rope, they, yeah, they did they all, all of it. They do it yeah. All. And that's the thing that, um, so CSTs at some point got kind of a bad rap, you know, th- there's always going to be those that kind of go off the you know, the reservation and, you know, then it causes the men to think of CSTs in a negative light. But 
Um, I, I tend to find more of the guys who served in the soft community who worked alongside CSTs had a more of the, uh, the, them had a positive perspective than yeah. a negative perspective, you know? Yeah. In, in my time, actually in my time active, I never saw any, any behavior that was, that was deemed unacceptable. Um, I've heard of it. I, I've mm -hmm. heard very rare instances. It's not much, but you know, everything gets blown, like it, everything gets blown oh, out yeah. of proportion. So then that becomes the narrative, but, but the people that are in the community, they know that the narrative, that that is not the actual narrative. Those, those women are vital to, to, to mission success. Um, I mean, we had, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, and, the, and you know, the, you're going to get a lot of people that are going to talk trash about, you know, women shouldn't be on the front lines or this, that, your thing. Mm -hmm. Those women can do anything. I mean, they, they, you know, I mean, well, you, can, you see them on their Instagram. They're doing, like, crazy CrossFit games oh, yeah. and Ironmans and stuff. Like, I mean, they're beasts, you know. Yeah. They, they, so the people that, that worked with them, we love them. Yeah, well, and I think some of that was justified at first and the skepticism, I wouldn't say like, you know, maligning a whole program just because of their gender, but you know, people were skeptical at first and we had to figure out how to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, I shouldn't say we, but you know, you sock J sock. They had to figure out how they were going to do it, how they were going to train them, who they were going to pull from. And so it was a mixed bag at first. And I, mm -hmm. you know, I, I had some negative experiences with, um, with CSTs, you know, de declining my advances to, to date them or <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, I understand too that there were eight teams of even the CST as I yeah, understand sure. it. So they picked the, the regiment actually cherry picked the best. Um, if we could, yeah, but you know, the thing is when it, that program's new, you know, you're going to, you're going to have some rough patches, but yeah. at the end of the day, if we're going to go to the effort to go and surround a compound in some terrible place, that's a, you know, a Taliban stronghold and we're only able to speak to the men and interrogate them and search them, well, there's 15 other people in that compound mm -hmm. and you know, this guy might be the kind of guy that has a couple wives. Well, let's pick the jealous wife and let's. You know, yep. get her with a, a female and a female interpreter. And all of a sudden they're spilling tea. Yeah. And this guy, you know, he thinks everything's good to go. Mm -hmm. And we're like, oh, we know where your stash is or we know where your whatever we're looking for is. follow on target or any of it. And yeah. then all of a sudden we've got, and it, I mean, if you're looking at the results, I, I wish we'd have done it sooner. Yeah. Much, much sooner. And, and I'll be the first to admit, I, I mean, when they first, you know, I was still, I was a saw gunner when they first got introduced to us and I was, you know, a dumb ranger at the time. I was like, what is, what is this? You know, and it's just being, you're just being young and dumb, but obviously the people that were running the program that, you know, that up at, up at USASOC and up at JSOC, they knew the deal. They knew it was going to work. They just had yeah. to convince us it was going to work. Yeah. And not even necessarily that they had to convince us. Once the CSTs got on the ground and we saw what they did, we were like, this is amazing. Yeah. You know, this, this yeah. is, this is incredible. So tell us a little bit about that program and, and what you guys, along with these CST, started developing as a training program for the Afghani women. Yeah, so it, it basically was, so it was a, so after you, after you do the recruitment process, then you're going to have to do, then you got to go through selection basically. So, you know, let's say 20 of them would show up to selection. You got to put them through a PT. It's all the same stuff that, that you're going to have to do, you know, for CST selection or for, uh, you know, for, you know, if, if you're doing it for the men, when I originally went over there for the first like three months, I was working with the men. Um, and then I, that's when I switched over to the FTP. So it's the same selection process. You're going to do PT test, uh, drug test, psychological evaluation. Um, I know I'm missing something. Uh, there's a whole litany of things that they, right. that they have to go through just to get, uh, just to get approved to even start the, the training course. Um, so then we would, we, you know, we'd whittle it down to, you know, maybe three or four of them that actually met all the criteria to, to go through the course. 
and then you're going to put them through an eight week long uh, training course, basically. So it's it's a crash course in all things uh, special operations. So it's you're going to obviously their their main focus is going to be uh, they're going to be doing a lot of bit TQ battlefield interrogation mm -hmm. and tactical questioning. They're going to learn how like the CSTs. That's that's really their bread and butter. That yeah. they're way better at that than I am. So we would always play. You know, we're we're a duo, a dynamic duo working together. Mm -hmm. um, where they're like really deep diving with them, teaching them how to manipulate conversation and how to interrogate and how to do all that and find their find their target, find their their, their jackpot and all that stuff. Um, and then my, my job was to, you know, uh, faster open, machine guns, grenades, all that stuff. So we're, we're working as a unit to, to put them through this eight week training pipeline, this whole crash course of, you know, land navigation, uh, everything that they're gonna need to be, to, to be successful on target. Um, I mean, just, I mean, it goes down to, I mean, just basic things like walking under night vision. I mean, right. we would spend like two whole night, two whole days, I think, in the beginning, just walking under night vision because you know they've never done it before. You know, so it's and it's not that's not a that's not just an an innate skill like normal walking. Like you, everybody has to do that. Mm -hmm. You got to learn how to walk under night vision. It's so different. It's it's tough at first. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, your depth perception is all messed up, mm -hmm. and you know it's you have to learn to you know trust your footing, trust what you're seeing, and and. You know, it, yeah, it takes practice. So, yeah. I mean, from something as, as I say simple, but from something as simple as that mm -hmm. to teaching them how to clear rooms, how to clear, clear multiple rooms, how to leapfrog from hallways. We had them doing now, canine work and everything. Really? You know? Now, did you do that? Because my experience with CSC is that they weren't, um, sometimes they wouldn't carry more than a, a pistol. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'd carry a rifle, but not often. It, are you doing that so that they know how to do it in case they need to? Yeah. Okay. And yeah, I was going to say, because so, they're not really in a kinetic role necessarily that, that when I was in, and I no, was wondering if, if you guys had that expectation. Yeah, you, you're correct on that, but we just okay. wanted to have, we wanted them to have that understanding of what's going on. So, yeah. I mean, when the, when the gun team is like, you know, when the, when the battalion or whatever platoon was there, when they'd be yeah. out doing their support by fires, I, we would take this, the FTPs, hey, this is a support by fire. When, like, this is what they're doing. This is why they're doing it. When they do their lift fires cool. and shift fires so that that way they have a full understanding of everything that's going on on the battlefield. Yeah. So, yeah, we, smart. we, we would put them put them through everything, you know, in order to, so, I mean, to, to rewind a little bit, you know, I told you like my biggest, my most proud moment from the military was, uh, was like leading Rangers. But so that made me then reflect like, well, what is the one thing that I didn't do that I wish I would have done? And I was like, uh, upon some self-reflection, I was never really like, I never really trained and mentored the younger guys. I was mm -hmm. kind of self, I just kind of, I wanted all the information for myself. So when I had the opportunity to, to train these FTPs, I, I knew that. And I was like, I'm going to dump all this information I have. I want to dump it all into them. A, because it, I know it's going to give me a sense of, of pride. And B, these are my friends. Like they're going on target yeah. with my friends, you know? So yeah. if I can't be there to, 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 to help protect them, I'm going to train you as best I can so that you, so that you can do it, you know? Um, that's really cool. So yeah, there was a, there was a whole training pipeline to put them through. Then they would go through the eight week training pipeline. Um, did they, they do, did they get a chance to get on the machine guns? Yeah, yeah, we would have them on everything. I've got That's I've got awesome. like all these videos of them that just is. like rocking with two forties and stuff like that. It was yeah, we had them doing doing everything. They were throwing flashbangs. They were throwing grenades. Uh, we had them. The EOD guys would link up with yeah. us. We would have them out there building charges. So they at least you know they they have a comprehensive understanding of every single aspect of, yeah. of what's going on. Um, Canine, you know, I would, obviously I knew all the canine guys, mm -hmm. so I would partner with them. Hey, bring the dog over here. We put him in the suit. You know, Afghan 
to Afghan culture, typically they don't really care for dogs too much. So no. that was kind of like, like getting them to trust the dog was, was definitely difficult. But after, you know, it's like, it's like how the dog has to be desensitized to gunfire in the helicopter. Mm -hmm. You just had to desensitize them to the dog pretty much. And once they worked around it enough, then yeah, they trusted them. They, they knew the deal, but yeah, wow. they had a, they had a, a, a comprehensive understanding of every aspect of what was going on on the battlefield. That's now, did they end up going out with us forces while mm -hmm. really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I did two. I did, uh, my 2012 and 2013 deployment that was FTPs with us. Wow. So they, that, so they'd be partnered with oh, the wow. CSTs who were with us. So it basically, you'd have like CSTs uh, okay. and FTPs questioning these people on wow. target so, with an interpreter. So the FTP is similar to like the interpreter, but she's also trained like CST. Yeah. It's like a, it, they're, yeah, they're yeah. Both. yeah. Wow. Now, I, not every FTP speaks English though. So you would have to, you'd have to have an interpreter there with them, okay. but it's basically like, you cut out the middleman so she can just get the information directly as right. opposed to having the, you know, the Terp has to tell the CST, then back to the Terp, then back, you know, yeah. so it's, they're fantastic. I remember the first time I saw an FTP, I was like, what is, you know, yeah. I knew what the CSTs were. I'm like, what's going on here? And then once I learned, I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. So, what an interesting team that would be to be on. Yeah. Know? I mean, it's just so, it's, it's outside Different. of some yeah. cultural norms, you know, you're yeah. three women, they're like, we just want to walk into the night most dangerous parts of this country. <laughs> yeah. Kick down some doors and yep. interrogate some strangers that could have bombs and guns and God knows what else. Yeah. That's, a, were, that's an interesting group. What was the dynamic then with the, with the FTP, with the Afghani women when they went into the villages and hit a target? I mean, an, initially from, I don't want to, I don't want to say too much cause I wasn't obviously the one, like I was so focused doing what I had to do. Um, but it seemed like they, I mean, it seemed like they were, they were very good at a like establishing trust right away, mm. and then extracting the information. You could definitely tell when some you could tell immediately like when somebody was clammed up and they're like, "I'm not telling you anything." Like you could mm. see that from a mile away. But then that, that was I would say more of the exception, um, where the rule was more like you know you would look over like, "Hey, what's CST and FTP doing?" And they would just be just going. Da, 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 da. I mean, and you're just like, "Hell yeah," you know, because they're getting all the juice that you need for. Yep to get us to get this dude out of here or to go hit this next house down the street where his homeboy is hiding or whatever, you know? So that's, yeah, they were, they were phenomenal. Do you, do you think that the, the CSTs um, and the, and the female Afghan teams that they kind of helped soften the Afghan perspective on the coalition forces and stuff like that? Uh, yeah. I, I, if, if I had to, yeah, thinking about it, I'd say yeah, because I mean they were not a fan of night night raids. They tried to, no. I think Karzai and and I mean oh, yeah. for years they were trying they to shut, shut down they night shut raids. Them down, we turn them on. Yeah, they would just down, go yeah. back and forth. But that was definitely an aspect where it was like we could at least have that on our side. We go, hey, we're not disrespecting your women. We have women that are working with them. Like we're not even talking to them. We're not even touching them. You know, like we're just dealing with these dudes. So it was, you know, it definitely helped. overall, yeah, it softened. Um, the, the public view of it, and then it softened the individuals on target to get them to, to give up more information. Hmm. Yeah, I, I just kind of, it's a it's a very different thing that I guess I wasn't too familiar with. and uh, But I had heard of like women, Afghani women going into like a special operations team, you know, as well in the Afghan army. And I, I don't know if that's just a rumor or what, but I could have sworn there was even some reporters that uh, picked up on that. And, and I, I, I think, I, I believe that there was a small 
group that was maybe attached to the commandos. Yeah. Um, okay. I don't know for sure about that, but uh, so the commandos, there was a WTA program over at Camp Moorhead with, so you just saw the Rangers were training Katejas, the SF dudes were training the commandos. And so, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they had some, some women over there working with them as well. It'd be surprised. It would surprise me if someone hadn't tried it yet. Yeah. I mean, they, we were throwing I, a lot of spaghetti at the wall. I think at least when I was there, I don't think they had it, but it, I would not be surprised at all. I mean, I left in basically like Christmas of 2017 and you know, you still had five, four and a half, five years after like whatever the math is, you know, so I'm sure they were there. I, I don't want to like, you know, get too deep into it because of, you know, security reasons for them and stuff. But, um, you know, when we did the withdrawal, how, how bad was it? So it's, I mean, it looks, everything that you saw on TV was, it, that's, that's how it is in, in real life on text message or whatever. And, and that, so that aspect of it wasn't so much, I didn't have so much involvement in that. I had a very, I had a very small role in that with some individuals that I was trying to help out, but there was a huge coordinated effort um, with this, within the CST and JSOC community um, of getting these women out of the country. And it was from all accounts, just an absolute nightmare. Um, they did it. I mean, they were successful. Oh, so they were successful. Yeah, they were successful in their mission, but it sounds like, and, and I don't want to say too much about okay. that because that's not necessarily my story to tell, right. but right. you know, just touching on it briefly, yeah. um, just like the, the individual, the couple individuals that I was helping. I mean, you're trying to like relay information mm -hmm. from, from point A to point F to point B. Z to point X to, I mean, it's just getting so and convoluted again. and then, you know, then, okay, they're going to get up there and now there's a Taliban checkpoint. How am I going to get through here? I mean, the whole thing was just an absolute nightmare, but I remember like I would get text messages from my friends in the CST community. They'd be like, Hey, so-and-so made it through the gate. So-and-so made it through the gate. And you know, yeah. they'd send a picture of them in, in the gate and I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> you know, and like, and these texts kept coming in and coming in and uh, yeah, I mean, they worked around the clock for, I mean, they're still doing it. They're they're still working to to, to help uh, to help them out, which is part of the reason why I didn't want to say too much. But yeah, I mean, I think it's um, it's great that so many of them were able to get out of there. And I mean, it's just like these RIs. We we talked to a lot of the guys that are here. You remember your ranger instructor, or maybe two or three of them that you know, like a drill sergeant. You're going to probably remember their name, and then you know, later on, um, they remember you, yeah. and, and, you know, but in some cases, you know, you stood out for whatever reason. I mean, we were talking to one of the RIs yesterday and, um, he had gone through like two years before and one of the RIs that actually was over him when he was a student, now he was his peer and he remembered him type of thing. And he's like, dang, did I stand out that much? You know? So I was just kind of curious too, where you, you certainly had those individuals, so there probably was some that stood out that, you know, you wanted to make sure they got safe, that they were uh, taken care of, and you know, they, it was important for you, um, yeah. because you know you, you become kind of the father figure in a way, you know, being the yeah. instructor. Yeah, know? I was, I, I ended up having like a really cool relationship with them. It took a while to build to build that trust. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, we had a blast, you know, obviously like I would train them, I would do it in a professional way. Like, Hey, this is our marks that we got to make that we, you know, you have to hit this mark. But outside of that, I'm not in the military, I'm a civilian. So like we can hang out, we can, you know, so we'd bring them over to our chow hall. We would all eat together or I would go over there. They would cook, they would bring a bunch of food from outside. We would nice. cook. Um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 there was an age gap enough where 
not necessarily like a like you're saying a father role yeah but it was kind of like a big brother role where mm. i'm just like training them and then get to and then you get to watch them go on target i remember there was a time where they were on target and myself and the cst we were sitting in the in the uh in the jock watching you know watching the isr feeds you know you're listening to, to the audio and everything that's going on and uh you just hear like you know so i i can't remember the exact details i think they had done pre-assaulting fires on this on this on this camp or this compound and you know so they're they're clearing through and doing what they got to do and you just hear uh you know you hear somebody on the radio come through and say hey you know ftp just engaged you know whatever and, and I, my ears perk up i'm like what did he just say and he's like ftp just you know and i, I mean the cst look at each other we're like hell yeah you know it's <laughs> like we taught him that you know um so it was uh you know when you see you know when they're using their weapon or when they're when they hit their jackpot you you know you're you have such a sense of pride like it's working. Yeah. That the the program is working. Um, so, so, so yeah, I was able to establish a cool relationship with them. And then I think when I left, there was roughly around like somewhere around like 30 of them in the platoon. And I, I don't know how many came in, how many came in after that. Um, but yeah, there was, there was like a, you know, like a very core group of ones that I had a, a closer relationship with than the others. Cause say, you know, they may, maybe like, obviously like if these ones speak English, I'm going to have a closer relationship with them than the ones that I have to use interpreters for all mm -hmm. the time. So there was like a very core group where like I would get the text that they were through and I'm like, thank God, you know, thank, thank God. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the community rallied around them and, and got them in and actually something that I did want to touch on. So there's a, a, uh, a piece of legislature that's been introduced to Congress. It's called the Afghan Adjustment Act. Um, and this is, I think this is so cool. And this is a testament to all the work that's been done for the past year, like trying to, to, to help these women out. So part of the Afghan Adjustment Act, I think it's section seven, paragraph four, specifically names. It's basically, it, it's, it's to get people a special immigrant visa. And section seven, paragraph four, specifically lists like of people that are eligible, the female tactical platoon. So that's like, I wow. mean, that's, I mean, that's so huge in them getting into, you know, you got to get your SIV, mm -hmm. then you can get your green card, then you can, you know, do your three to five year wait period to become naturalized as a citizen. But it's such a crucial, crucial part. Cause right now a lot of them are on asylum, you know, they're here, but they're on asylum. Okay. Um, so when that piece of legislation, it, it's, it hasn't passed yet, but it, it's going to pass, you know, why wouldn't it? You know, it's like, <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> like, why would you? We, hopefully you're not yeah. asking it. Yeah. yeah. No, so I, I would, agree. I'd be shocked, but it's, uh, that was fantastic news to find out that that platoon was specifically named as people that are going to be qualified to, to receive this SIV. Well, heck yeah, That's man, because awesome. it could be a very dangerous situation. And of course, that gives you a lot of relief knowing that they can get out of there and they're going to, you know, well, they're not just out of there because some of them are, are already here. But yeah. like you said, they can get moved through the pipeline yeah. rather quickly and, and everything else. Yeah, because well, they don't typically have to worry about the, getting sent back. Yes. Right, that's, that's the other that's part. Right so there. yeah, because right now they're in their like they've most of them have submitted their asylum paperwork. Um, so to to prevent them from getting sent back, who hasn't like, submitted their paperwork? We're telling first sergeant. Yeah, exactly. And again, just for those who may not understand what that means, it, it means basically you come into a country and you go, "I'm seeking asylum because I'm I fear for my life yeah. or whatever," and then that country chooses to whether to protect you or not and and so in this case they're saying okay we can protect you for a period while we vet you yep. and, and all yep. of that kind of stuff and because typically you're supposed to have your siv or your immigrant visa or your special immigrant visa that's step one before you even get to the country 
But because of the, the way that the evacuation, had, none of them had that. They were just like, hey, we're getting them out of the country now, and then we'll do all the paperwork on the back end. So that's essentially what's what's going on with that. Are they in like compounds or anything together or are they still able to free and Yeah, they're living. Yeah, yeah okay. living life. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. There but you, you know, they 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 have assistance programs that are helping them out, you know, with with job placement and stuff like that. Sure. Um but yeah, for I mean, there's I don't want to touch on it too much, you know, say like locations or anything like that. Um but yeah, I think there's a couple that are still like in in like compounds or camps, basically mm -hmm. like waiting waiting to then get re like released, you know, okay. to go do their own thing. Wow, so this um, has been a long process. Yeah, yeah, and then I mean, just Afghans in general. There's tons that are still in refugee camps in Abu Dhabi and then you know Dubai and where yeah, I mean, they're all over. They're they're everywhere. They're still they're still like processing all those paper the, the background checks and all the paperwork to bring all these people that worked with American forces. I mean, the backlog is is huge. Yeah. That's why, like, to get that in the legislation, that that particular platoon, it just well, shoots them right to the front of the line, which is, right. you know, some people might get upset about that, but personally, I'm happy about it. I'm sure they are, too. Oh, yeah. But we initially uh, scheduled the podcast and um, several months ago and stuff. You were going to bring in some CSTs that um, are going to join you. It's too bad that we didn't have them along because I, I think that, there was a great service that they provided uh, to our country. And, and these are um, individuals who had another MOS, you know, just to be clear, they came in the army for whatever transportation or supply or whatever it may be. And then all of a sudden they volunteered for CSD. Yeah. Yeah. I think they would get like the mill per message, like, Hey, we're going to, there, there's this program. We need X amount of women to come try out for it. This is what your job is going to be. And then, you know, they go through selection. And, yeah, they're, yeah. They're like, that sounds awesome. I want to do that. You know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, my hat's off to all of them. Any of the CSTs I worked with, they know, like, I mean, I, I love those, those girls. They're, they're the best. You One know? of our original co-hosts on the show was uh, Kat Kaylin and was a CST okay. and uh, served with, um, I don't know what, what battalion was it? Was it first? It was third bat. Third bat. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And um, over there. And then, of course, she served some time with uh, the SEALs, with CAG um, as well, and during her rotation. She might have done some other battalions. I don't know. But yeah. I know that, that's how I met her. Yeah. It was after her rotation. Mm -hmm. I know she did some battalion. stuff with Delta as well um, while there. Hmm? Yeah. And they, yeah, they would typically, like, if they were working with battalion, they probably worked with at least two, with two battalions, because we yeah. would do three month rotations. And I think. They were on they were on six or maybe nine. Some yeah. of I think at some point in time it was six. I think later it went to nine. But so they were they were at least working with two two mm -hmm. you know battalions that were coming in. And then if they did a nine, then yeah, they would probably work with a third one as well. Yeah, probably so. Mm -hmm. Probably so. Yeah, there's been a book written, Ashley's War. Fantastic. And, yeah, and uh, it's actually book. a good read. And um, she's in that. She's one of the characters in that book because uh, yeah. she served along um, with her. And and yeah. And, was there, of course, was a good friend of hers when um, all that went down. Mm -hmm. It was pretty bad. Um, we've had uh, one of the, uh, what was really crazy, and I don't remember, Paul, if you were able to make that episode of the guy from the 160th that actually was the um, part of the QRF or whatever that came oh. in, and it was his perspective of mm. that wow. whole um, situation. That and, was the worst, worst fucking incident. God, that was just devastating, man. Yeah, that was chaos on the ground, and I mean, for, from an from another battalion's point mm -hmm. of view, like when that happened, it was like, I mean, they 
you know, they just bring everybody together. They're like, yeah. all right, well, how do we, you know, obviously it's, it's war, like things are going to happen, right. but they're kind of like, all right, like this is a major event. Yeah. How do we move forward? How do we get better? How do we do, you know, it, it, it was just, it was such a pivotal moment in like, um, I mean, just the whole, the whole yeah. Ranger, yeah, like the Ranger you, machine, you know, it was like, whoa, yeah. holy. It, well, I think maybe, maybe this was just my feeling and I can't, I, I shouldn't attribute it to, you know, an organizational level, but my feeling was we'd, we'd been in Afghanistan since basically September 11th and we were the first ones there and we never didn't have mm-hmm. an element there, a significant one. And, you know, you almost become complacent because I mean, we were kicking ass. Yeah, I mean, regiment was kicking the shit out of anybody that wanted to fight them in Afghanistan. And, you know, we've been used to it and doing it that way. And, and we were good. We knew what to look for and we knew how to overcome most of their attacks. And then, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, I remember reading that incident report and I'm like, you know, you get to the first, the first bad sentence and you're like, okay, I see what happened. And you keep reading, you're like, oh my God. Yeah. Like they really pulled out all the stops to, yep. to, to come and get us that night. So. Yeah. And, and actually to touch on <laughs> what you said about the complacency, you're, you're right about that. So that is also another reason why, why I thought I felt it was my time to get out because it was just like, you you've done so many of these missions that you're just mm-hmm. kind of like, you're numb to it. Yeah. You just kind of, you're I mean, you're walking up to a target, like say maybe like on my first time ever, like, all right, like maybe I would spend 10 seconds to scan that roof where now I'm like, I'm gonna spend two. Cause you've just done it so many times, you know? And like, yeah. that's not fair <clears throat> to these guys, to these other people. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're not a hundred percent in it anymore, then you shouldn't be in it at all. Well, you're a liability. Yeah. And that's, you know, you never want to be a liability. Yeah. Cause that, that's when you end up with some real, some real shit on your conscience. Yeah. That's, you know? I mean, you, you fail to do your job, fail to clear your sector. And then one of your guys dies. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I don't know if you felt this way, but did you feel like um, like it wasn't really as important for you to live so long as you didn't cause yeah. your boys to get harmed or, or yeah. killed? Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, take me, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, I think yeah. once you lose that feeling, not I don't think I lost it on deployment, but I remember yeah. like my, after I got home from that last deployment, I was just like, man, I don't feel like doing this anymore, yeah. you know? And, and, and once I kind of, that thought was creeping into my head, then I knew it was time for me to, to probably do something else. So what'd you end up doing after uh, you got off contract? So after I got off contract, so, and, and this is, I mean, this can be a, a, a lengthy discussion for, for another time. I'm actually trying to kind of working on a memoir right now um, about it. But I actually, I kind of fell into like into a hellhole for a couple of years, man. I was pretty bad. Um, you know, so, so much of my identity had been lost. I was, you know, I was no longer a ranger. I was, uh, I, I had got divorced, so I was no longer a husband. Um, and I fell into all the pitfalls that, that, that come along with that. And yeah, I was, I was down and out for a couple of years and like, uh, I'm a big believer that everything that happens in your life happens at the time that it's supposed to happen. And, uh, as terrible as the cut of everything that happened in Kabul was like the timing of that for me personally, uh, was, that was, a, that was good timing because had that happened like a year prior, I was so deep in a hole that I would have, I, I would have been numb, uh, you know. I, it was, but I had, I had climbed out of that. I was on the up and up. I was doing good. So when that happened, I was able to be a resource as opposed to just being, you know, somebody watching yeah. it on the news. Um, so yeah, I, I, I kind of, and, and I'll, I can get into that more when I'm going to, I'm trying to write something right now. Um, but since then, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've been working for, I work for a, a, uh, 
Well, I'm on a leave of absence right now to do the trail. So shout out to, to the company I work for. I work for a Fortune 500 company and I'm a mid-level mid manager for them. Nice. Um, and then uh, I, uh, I'm looking to, to venture off into some other things. My best friend from Battalion, his name is Matt. Um, him and I are working on a, on a patent right now on something that we're trying to, to get moving forward. And then um, I want to I want to start a small business down in, down in Southwest Florida. I've got an idea for something that I'm trying to to do and this Appalachian Trail has been great it's been total mental clarity for me for to be able to figure out like all right how am I going to put this plan into action um so yeah when I get back from the trail I'm gonna hit the ground running to start off the new year and uh, you, you've been taking a diary and writing the notes of everything yep. you need okay yeah. yeah yeah so I I don't write it as much I do the voice memos okay yeah, I have the whole you know I have okay. the whole the whole thing laid out use your phone for your voice memos mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, it's just, it's just a good timing in my life. You know, when I was going through all those problems I was going through, I, I like, I wasn't really making any good money. Uh, I, I mean, I, at, at tw the past like year and year and a half, I've, I've been doing really well, but at the time all my money was tied up. I had a house in Savannah and I had a house in Cape Coral, so I didn't have any liquid money. It was all tied up in that. And then mm -hmm. I've recently I've sold those. So, um, just my financial situation now has afforded me the opportunity to then go do this Appalachian trail, take six months off of work and, you know, and, uh, it's given me the clarity and everything that I need to, to kind of figure out like, all right, last time. You know, when I got done contracting, I didn't build off the momentum I had because, you know, going through regiment and doing all that stuff, like all through your 20s, you know, you're batting a thousand, you know, you're hitting everything out of the park and then mm -hmm. it came to a screeching halt and, you know, I didn't keep my momentum going. So now when I get back from this trail, I've got this plan of everything that I'm going to do to keep it moving forward. You know, hats off to you because I think... Um there would be some people that would start the trail. And of course I knew somebody that started the trail and I think they got about four days in and they were like, ah, forget this, you know, and got out of it and stuff, but they were never supposed to be there in the first place, by the way. But at any rate, um, you know, in your, in your state, you know, you were looking at it as an opportunity, like you're describing to decompress from what you've gone through and, and all of that to get mental clarity and mm -hmm. the whole bit. And, um, you start coming up with these great ideas while you're on the trail. You start looking at how you can maybe, you know, start a business, how you can start, you know, doing this or doing that because the clarity starts coming. How is it that you don't just jump the trail and go, Psh, I, it did what I feel like it did. It's uh, hard. Right? Yeah, yeah. I've had that feeling several times where I'm like, I know what I need to know now. I've, I got the answer that I needed. Let's go do it. But I got to finish. You know, I, I have to finish the trail. It's because when else, I don't know if I'll ever get the chance to do it again, yeah. but that thought has crept into my head. Like I've never thought about quitting because it's hard or my body hurts or whatever. Not saying it's not hard. It, it's definitely hard, you know, with no disrespect to what these dudes out here are going through, right. you know, like that's pretty, you know, but yeah, it's hard. It's grueling. It's five, you know, five months long, you know, mm -hmm. you're living out of a backpack, you know, I've got this tiny little bag. That's, that's everything that I live out of right there. Um, oh, wow. that's, a, that's like a book bag. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I've got it I'm down to, to, to like a science. Um, so it's not that I've like thought about quitting in terms of like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is too hard, but it, it's like, I got this energy. Like I need to get this thing off the ground. I gotta, I gotta get this book done. I gotta get this, yeah. this patent done. I gotta get this thing off the ground. So that is, that, that is very challenging for me to try to hold myself back. Cause you kind of like holding the, holding on the reins. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, my finish date, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at like November 8th to be my finished date. So I'm about five weeks out right now. So you're, you, but there's two things here that probably stand out as the reason why. First off, you came in in the military and joined uh, special operations in a community that's very much never quit. You know, mm -hmm. um, if you set out to do something, finish the mission, 
but the other part of it is uh, you've got that other side of the fighting, kicking to get out and go, oh my God, things are starting to pop. I'm starting to get this clarity. So do you find yourself even halfway through picking up the phone and calling your buddy or texting and going, oh my God, I got this great idea. We need to, you know. I do it all the time. <laughs> I, I do it all the time. Luckily, yeah. I have that like trusted friend. Like he'll probably be my best friend forever. We actually, we went to Mexico together last year. We just booked our trip. We're going to Mexico again this year. Like nice. this is my, that's my man. And so I trust him with everything. So I'll be like, hey, we got it. Let's do this. Let's do this. And you know, he's, he's a very intelligent person. So he knows he knows how to do product development. He knows how to how to get businesses off the ground. The guy's got a multiple degrees. He got a master's degree in mechanical engineering, and he's you know extremely intelligent person. So it's like I have this kind of like ADHD brain that that, that, got, that has all this stuff, and he's very he's got the structure. It's good you that know? you know that your place because I mean there are a lot of people who are entrepreneurial um, minded individuals, and yet they. Don't necessarily, they're not necessarily good at running a business, yeah. but they're really good at coming up with ideas, right? Mm -hmm. And and knowing that's what your strengths are is is the most positive thing that you can do to say, all right, I, I'm the idea guy and I can come up with entrepreneurial opportunities or intrapreneurial, meaning, you know, inside the business to help it grow and stuff. But Man, and when it comes to running the day-to-day -day stuff, that's mm -hmm. not that's not going to excite me. And that guy might be really good at that piece of it. Yeah. So that's how you could really complement one another. Uh, sounds like you're going to find success. You found already a good partner with that. Yeah, you know? and it's and it. I mean, it goes back to even like you know, even in the military. Like I just never really had a desire to be like a boss or a manager, leader of like all these people. You know. So like I don't. I, I'll let him do that. You know, mm -hmm. I mean? I'll let him, you know, and, uh, you know, we can be partners that way um, where I'm just kind of like, you know, I don't know. It, it's been, it, it's been, I'm having the time of my life right now. I'm just shy of 1500 miles. I think I'm at like 1490 or something like that. It's 2200 miles total. Wow. So, I mean, I've still got 700 miles of stuff that's going to pop into my head and you'd be shocked. I mean, it sounds so cliche. Like when you're out in nature mm -hmm. and you're sleeping on the ground every day and you're touching the trees and you're touching the bushes and all that stuff, like, I mean, your mind just goes to a whole other place that it's, it, you tap into something that you just, you can't get that when you're in a city. How many people are you meeting on the trail? Uh, there's an, there's a, I'm hiking with a group. There's five of us. Um, when I first undertook it, I was, I had the mindset of like, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to do it by myself. I'm going to do the, you know, I'm going to do the ranger thing. I'm going to do 30 miles a day. And I'm going to power through or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's turned out to be the exact opposite. I met, there's five of us. We all met on day one and we've been together ever since. Really? And, uh, yeah, so they were cool with you, like taking two days and taking a shower and washing your hair and everything. Yeah. Else. So the way, <laughs> yeah, so they, they pushed ahead. Um, there, but actually like this tropical storm, that's kind of like perfect timing. Cause that, so they're going to hit what's called a zero day. So they're not going to do anything probably today. I think they're taking a full day off. Um, so technically they're only going to be like one day ahead of me. So tomorrow when I get back to hiking, I'm just going to have to do like a big, like probably like a 36 mile day and I'll catch up to where they're at. So you're just not going to pop in where they are. No, cheat no, no, this, no, no, know, no, I got to do the, do the miles. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so we've, we've been good about, about hooking each other up that way. Like mm -hmm. one of the people I'm hiking with, they had to get off and go to Chicago for a, for a, for a baby shower. So we kind of like we did two shorter days. I think we did like a 12 mile day and maybe like a 10 mile day. And then that person, when they got back on, they did like a 26 and like a 22 and we okay. all linked up back at the same location. I knew a couple that actually did this and the way they did it was over three years. They did a yep. segment and then they mm -hmm. pop and then they come back and pick up and then, you know, and they did it, com they completed it, but not 
in one time frame yeah. like you yeah, are. Yeah, that's you know? a very popular way of doing it. It's section hiking, but and then um, technically, you know, for through hiking, you just have to do the whole trail, whether it's south or north, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Or some people flip flop. They'll start in the middle and they'll go south, then they'll oh. flip up to the north and go, or or vice versa. Um, oh. But as long as you do the whole thing in a calendar year, then you've been considered a through hiker. Mm. And wow. it's I, I've been thinking about this since. Camp Scorpion. I mean, I remember first learning about it in 2015. I was sitting in my little hooch at Camp Scorpion, and I saw this documentary about hiking the trail, and I was like, that looks like the coolest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually tried to do it in 2020. I'm glad that it didn't work out for me. COVID hit then. Um, I had a start date. Every I was registered to go. I had my LOA from work was approved. Um, and then right when I was supposed to step off, like mm-hmm. April 1st, is during all that craziness, everything was shut down. So there was no... Like how now how I like hop into towns and get my resupply of food, that wasn't an option then. Yeah. Um, so I ended up not doing it. And uh, I was bummed out at the time, but I'm so glad that it didn't work out. Again, like all the timing, everything happens when it's supposed to happen because now I'm in a financial position where like, I mean, I'm just rocking and rolling out there. Yeah. It's where, where if I had done it two years ago, I would have been on a, like a kind of a strict budget. I, would have, I wouldn't have had some of the luxuries. I wouldn't have been able to do this podcast. I wouldn't have been able mm-hmm. to, you know, leave the trail, get a rental car. Like, I wouldn't have been able to do that. You know what I mean? Right. Where, um, where now I'm like, I'm really, really enjoying myself. It's like soaking it all in. If I see like, we call them side quests. So like if I see like a, hey, there's a pizza restaurant like 10 miles down, like let's go get yeah. pizza, you know? And so I, <laughs> where before I'd probably just be eating out of my knapsack, you know? Yeah. So what about as far as like, um, you know, helping you through some of the challenges and everything that you experienced that you're going to be writing the memoir about and stuff? Do you find it cathartic? Do you get some campfire uh, discussions? And, you know, has, has anybody there within your, your group uh, a fellow veteran or? Uh, no, not within my group. I know there, there's some of them out there. I haven't like talked about it in a group around like any of the, any of the campfires or anything like that, but I've talked to certain individuals like just kind of venting and just kind of, you know, whatever. Um, but it's been, I mean, it's, it's, it's been the time of my life. I, if, if anybody that has like, you know, dealt with, you know, the PTS and the depression and the suicide and the the addiction and all that stuff, like anybody that's gone through this or is going through this or is, or is going to go through this, I wish I knew now, like through hiking is that's, I mean, that's, I'm not saying that that's the answer, but it is, it's an answer, you know? Do you yeah. fear at the end that what you experience now is the high? So how long can it be sustained? Do you fear, maybe not fear is maybe too strong of a word, but are you concerned that mm-hmm. is it sustainable? Yeah. So I've put measures in place to, to, to stop that from happening. So, um, so I, you know, I booked that trip with my buddy. We're going mm-hmm. to go down to, to go down to Mexico. I think we're going to make that an annual thing. Uh, when I get back, I'm going to do a decompression trip from my decompression trip. Nice. I'm going to do the, I'm going to bike, uh, the Florida Keys overland highway. It's a, it's like a 120 mile bike path <laughs> from, from, it's from Miami to Key West and back. Yeah. So I'm going to spend cool. probably like eight to 10 days doing that. Um, and then, yeah, I just have to, pre- I mean, I'm, I'm probably just going to get through the holidays and you know, like, I really want to spend some time with my family through the holidays. And then, yeah, pretty much January 1st, I start school again and, uh, I'm just going to hit the ground running in terms of, in, in those, those companies. And, and, you know, obviously I got to get back to work and everything, but I just, the lesson that I've learned from my pitfall four years ago was you don't take your foot off the gas. Yeah. You know, 
Well, man, you've uh, you've definitely got an amazing story here of what you shared with us today, and uh, I appreciate you just coming off the trail. And you know, when I hooked it back up and I said, "Hey, we're going to be up," and you know, and you were like, "Yeah, I can make it happen." It was like, "Whoa!" I I, I wasn't sure it was <laughs> going all line up and everything, uh, knowing what you were doing, and 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 then when you said yes, I thought, "Well, okay, you must be winding down right here in the backyard," and mm-hmm. you know, you're basically going to walk over type of thing. It didn't quite work out that way, but I really appreciate. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, it, I, I appreciate, you know, obviously, like, we couldn't make it happen the first time. So when I saw you at Extend the Offer again, I was like, there's no way I'm missing it this time. <laughs> That's great. Like, I, I was so excited to see you in my inbox. Uh, man, I well... We're always excited to meet uh, individuals like yourself that are willing to put your, you know, your story out there and share it because people who are listening to this thing are probably going through some of the same challenges, have had similar experiences or, mm-hmm. or may know someone, a loved one or a friend or something of that nature. It's, it's powerful, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I don't, obviously it sucks to go through that stuff, but uh, I've, I feel like it's just made me so much stronger of a person to, to have gone through it. And that's not to say that it's over with. I mean, I still struggle, you know, I, day I by think, day. Yeah, I don't think it ever ends, but no. it's just, now I know what to look for. Now I know what the warning signs are. Now I know, like, I know how to get through it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's yeah. just one of those things you have to do it to learn it. You know, I've yeah. never been a, I, I, again, I wasn't a good student. I was always, you got to learn the hard way. That's, mm-hmm. that's how I've learned everything. Oh yeah. Well now, now you've got some, some go-to mechanisms when, because I mean, life's like that. There's peaks and valleys, mm-hmm. you know. But I like that you know your, your story. It's like, yeah, things get low, but you get back up again. Yeah, you know. And you, you're yeah, it's, and you're are- it's uh, it's cool being back here with with all the rangers with the you know with with the ranger candidates and all that. And I I just you know I remember standing out in in formation like sounding off with the ranger creed. And to this day, my favorite stanza of the ranger creed is is the last stanza. You know. Readily will I display the intestinal fortitude required to fight onto the ranger objective and complete the mission, though I be the lone survivor. And obviously when you're in the military, like that has a very military like sense to it. But now I just take it to, you know, now it's on the outside. Like you got to keep fighting to, you know, it's, you're just fighting in a different way. You know what I mean? And though, you know, it, it, you're going to keep having to do what you got to do until you're the lone survivor. And that's, that's, that's what I'm doing. I love that. Um, like so people are probably going to be listening to this and go, all right. Um, cause I want to give a shout out, you know, so people can follow you. And especially if they're listening to this and they go, I didn't even realize that was an opportunity. And now that I've heard about this, like you did while over there, how can they, you know, can they reach out to you to ask questions about getting on the trail and doing yeah, that? Sure. So tell them how, you know, they can get in contact with you, maybe through Instagram or something. Yeah. Like so I'm on, I'm on Instagram. My Instagram handle is, uh, it's, it's my name abbreviated. So it's P K I N S and then one seven five for like first of the 75th. So P K I N S one seven five. Um, yeah, you can shoot me a message and then there's a lot of information. If, if the, if the trail is something that people are interested in doing, there's tons of documentaries on it. There's, there's tons. I mean, you can go on the Appalachian trail conservancy website. They'll show you how to register, how to do the whole thing. And, uh, I would recommend training for it. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, it's, it's challenging. So yeah, maybe, you know, do some PT before you start and, uh, keep in, you know just keep your head on your shoulders and keep moving forward and you'll be good let so. us know when you uh, finish that whole thing man yeah right on that'd be yeah freaking yeah awesome absolutely appreciate you coming on patrick man. thank you so much i really appreciate you guys having me i actually i know you said earlier you had a ranger coin or you had a coin for me i only have one of these but i have an at appalachian trail like cool. little pen so i'll leave it there you guys can maybe arm well you put it closer to my side yeah. so i already have a, a yeah. running edge here well maybe that goes with the 
the mentors from military collection that we're starting. That that's true. Yeah, because we've gotten a, a few very thoughtful gifts. Yeah, and, and thank you yeah. for that. And yeah, maybe, maybe we need to make a little trophy uh, thing little in trophy the studio. Case or something yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. At the, thank uh, you very much. May even have to find a permanent marker and have you sign the back of it or yeah, something maybe. so that we can do that and uh, know exactly. What, well, we'll know it was you, but I'm just saying it'll. Maybe 15 years from now, we'll wonder what the hell was that guy's thing. <laughs> well, I think, I think we gotta we gotta link up again and maybe do another episode and hear how you did on the rest of the trail. Yeah, and, for sure. You know, and we don't have our big metal sign here like you usually see. And that's right. Yeah. So yeah. You, your signature will be lacking there, and that's we can yeah. we could remedy that. I think. Oh, absolutely, yeah. and I think we could uh, certainly have you back on, and if not for those reasons, but for plenty of sure. others. But um, again, man, thanks so much for coming on, and appreciate that. Um, right yeah. really I, means I, a lot. I, I, I appreciate you guys having me, and, and thanks for having me where you have me. Like, yeah. When you said it was going to be here, yeah. I was like, you got to be kidding. It's a treat, <laughs> yeah. right? This is insane. Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to go back out now and have fun with them. Right. So uh, we're going to go see what they're doing right now at this moment. Um, you know, yeah. they, Well, and shoot, you'll be back here in a few. Yeah. Yeah, yeah about several weeks. hundred miles. Yeah. yeah. Passing out candy bars. Awesome. Yeah, so you know, I know the RIs don't want to hear that, but if you know, for people that don't know, the Appalachian Trail cuts right through like a lot of the mountain phase of Ranger School, mm -hmm. like training grounds. So I know what it feels like to be out there with your stomach touching your back yeah. and you're just starving <clears throat> with your face, you know, all shrunken in. So if I see any Ranger students when yeah. I'm out there, I'm gonna have Snickers bars on standby, <laughs> and I won't blow up your spot. I won't give it to you in front of the RI, but I'm, you know, I'll chuck it in the bushes for you. <laughs> 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 That's freaking uh, awesome. Later, brother. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yep, yep. Later. Hell yeah.